You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Uh, we're in week number two of our series, Supernatural, uh, Discover the Unseen World. And so last week we talked about spiritual warfare, the battle that's going on all around us. If you missed it, um, you guys, you can go back to lots of ways, our, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel. Uh, you can just get it from our, our website. You can click on it. Um, we also, you can listen to the podcast of our sermons um, through Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And, uh, you know, if there's a, a, a sermon you especially appreciate, you might, you know, tell somebody about it or think, hey, I have a friend that needs to hear this. Last week, somebody said to me, hey, I know somebody who needs to hear that sermon. And so uh, it's never been easier to do that. So just wanted to remind you guys of that and uh, let you know. So, okay, so today we're going to dig a little deeper into who Satan is and, and what we can do about Satan and demons uh, last week I mentioned that, that we often handle Satan by making light of him. Uh, Saturday, Saturday Night Live has done a lot of skits about Satan over the years. Going way back, uh, some of you remember the, the church lady skits that Dana Carvey did. Uh, a lot of times, very funny stuff. Uh, often not very appropriate, but funny. And, uh, you know, Dana Carvey is a funny man any way you look at it. But the reality is that Satan is not a laughing matter. Let me share, you, share one joke with you before we get going, though. Uh, a man angrily confronted his wife with the receipt for a $250 dress she had bought. How could you spend so much, he, he questioned her. I don't know, she said. I, I was just standing in the store looking at the dress, and then I found myself trying it on, and it was like the devil was whispering to me, you look great in that dress. You should buy it. Well, the man responded, you know what the Bible says. You should have just told him, get behind me, Satan. I did, replied the wife, but then he said, it looks great from back here, too. I know, that's a, that's a bad joke. So not, enough of that nonsense. As we talked about last week, uh, Americans are, are very fascinated with the idea of, of dark forces and scary evil things. Uh, for some reason, we like to be scared, um, but we like it to be a controlled scared. Uh, when you go to a scary movie, you know that a, in a couple hours the movie's going to be over and you get to go home. It, it's, it's really not real. Or you go to a haunted house at Halloween time and, and you know it's scary, but it's not really real. And so we like that kind of scary. Um, let me share my, my first Alaska illustration of the week. I said there'd probably be a lot coming up. but So here's a picture of my son and I. When we went whitewater rafting in, in Alaska and, and uh, had a great time. Um, I was going to tell you a little bit about the story. It, it was, I felt like it was not a controlled scariness at times. Uh, so th- uh, my son wanted to find the highest rated rapids that he could find. So these uh, were like four and five on the, the scale, uh, which five is the highest. And it, it was a river that was coming off a glacier. And so it was super cold, like 34 to 36 degrees. And um, before we started, we had uh, dry suits on, um, but they, they wanted us to jump in and, and swim across the river just so we know what it's like to be in the river, practice swimming. And, and man, 
you jump in and that water hits your face and it, it was painful. Like I did not want to be in the, and your hands are exposed so you're swimming and it kind of carries you down a ways before you could get to the other side. So I made it through that, but um, so in, as we did the, the rafting, you know, tour or whatever, um, they would have two people in the front that would have paddles and then there's the guide was in the middle and he had oars and then the two people in the back would just kind of sit there. And so uh, for half the time I did paddling in the front, then they switched around and, and uh, uh, went to the back. But as we went along, the guide would kind of give us uh, heads up as to what we were going to be going through. This is what's going to happen in this rapids. And one of them particularly stands out because he said this. Okay, guys, when we get through uh, in the middle of this, we're going to need to paddle really hard because we don't want to hit this rock on the one side. And if we do hit the rock on this one side, we will tip over. Okay, and, and when you tip over, you're going to go in the water and you're going to get in kind of a, a whirlpool type thing that you can't really swim out of. You're probably going to be stuck in that. So what you're going to have to do is pull yourself, your legs up into a ball, and then the, it will suck you under the water and then kick you out on the other side. And so I heard that and I'm thinking, not, I did not sign up for this. That does not sound fun. Uh, that sounds scary. Uh, thankfully we did not tip over ever in the whole time. And so that was good. Nobody fell out of the boat. Um, but sometimes the, the scariness, it was fun, but it was scary, but sometimes it felt a little out of control. Um, the Bible speaks of a very real dark world, a world that we need to know about so we can stand up against it, but it isn't a controlled darkness. It's not like a movie or a haunted house. Okay. It, it isn't something to play around with. Now, remember last week we talked about the fact that Satan wants to blind you from the truth. He wants to confuse you. And so he's probably going to try to do that even as we talk today. In fact, I felt like this week as I was working on this sermon that I, I kind of had a hard time putting some of my thoughts together. And, and, and I know Satan was trying to kind of confuse me. And so I prayed a lot for clarity of mind. In fact, let's pray uh, before we go any farther this morning. Heavenly Father, we we just lift this morning up to you. We do pray that we'll have clarity of mind. Pray that um, you'll just we'll be able to hear what you want us to hear and just kind of sort out any other things that, that we shouldn't hear. And so just be with us during this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So who is Satan and where did he come from in the first place? I mean, if God created everything, why would he create Satan and evil? Uh, well, God did create Satan. Um, but he created him as an angel. And uh, I believe that just like he created people with free will, God created angels with free will to be able to decide to follow him uh, or turn from him. There are two specific good angels mentioned in the Bible named Michael and Gabriel. But there's another angel mentioned in the Bible. His name was Lucifer. That's what he's referred to in the King James Version. And, and I think it's interesting, translated, that basically means angel of light. Okay, so God created Lucifer in a good way. He was an angel of light. But he created the angels to be able to choose between good and evil, just like he made us. So Lucifer was created as a good angel, an angel of light. In fact, in Ezekiel 28, 14, it refers to him as a guardian cherub. Okay, that was his job. But Lucifer let pride and jealousy overtake him, and he wanted to be like God. He chose to go down a very bad path. And so he decided to try and lead a coup against God and as a result was cast out of heaven. 
Okay, God had no choice. Let's read about this. First of all, it's from the book of Revelation. We'll start. It says this, Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Okay, I believe that's referring back to when all this happened. You, you kind of get the picture of what's going on. There was a great fight, but Satan lost the fight, was cast out of heaven. Okay, his power was not as great as God's power because he was created by God. Hey, let's read some more from the book of Isaiah. This is chapter 14, verse 12 through 15. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to the realms of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Okay, so these verses, they're about Lucifer or Satan, the angel of light being cast out of heaven. Now, there are a lot of things going on in this passage. I'm going to take a look at some of the things that it's talking about. What was Satan trying to do? I think we get a, a good picture from this passage. So first of all, it says that he tried to ascend to heaven. Okay, in other words, he wanted equal recognition with God. Can you see the pride that he's, he was um, in what he was trying to do? You know, why should God get all the recognition? I, I do a lot of great things too. I, I deserve some honor and praise. And, and we do that too, don't we? You know, nobody ever notices what I do. I, I deserve to be noticed I, I do a lot of good things. I deserve some honor. Look at what I've done. And then it says he wanted to raise his throne above other stars. Okay, stars here is referring to angels. He, he wanted to be the top angel. Everybody else underneath him. He didn't just want recognition. He wanted the other angels to bow down to him. And, and that's how it happens. When, when you, you become power hungry, you're just never content. You're always looking for that, that adrenaline rush of power. And then it says he wanted to sit on the Mount of Assembly. Okay, I think this is referring to where God rules. He, he wanted to rule where God rules. Not only did he want to rule over the other angels, he wanted to take God's place. He wanted to be the top dog. Then it says he, he, he wants to ascend above the heights of the clouds. Okay, clouds here is referring to the glory of God. The glory that God has is what he wanted. He wanted all of the glory and power uh, above the clouds, even more than what God has. And I think in subtle ways that can happen to a lot of us. You know, I've seen a lot of high-profile preachers who had good ministries, and, and God was using them in, in really cool ways, and they start to listen to how good everybody says they are. And, and they start to like the glory and honor they're getting and it's often their downfall. It just leads to other problems and sins. And then finally in this passage, it says that Satan wants to make himself like the Most High. Of course, really what he's saying is he, he wanted to become like God. And, and to be like God is really saying that you are God. Of course, that was impossible. He's not created to be like God. He was created by God. 
Okay, God is God. God is not a created being. God has always existed and always will exist. Lucifer said, yeah, I will get all these things. God said, nah, no, you won't. It's not going to happen. In fact, everything you have is gone. You're out of here, buddy. Okay, it's over. But he didn't go quietly. And Lucifer convinced many other angels to follow along with him to join in the battle. But they were cast down as well. So a third of the angels were cast down from heaven, if I understand the, the symbolism correctly, from Revelation 12.4. Uh, and so it involved a lot of angels. We're, we're not told how many. Uh, it's a lot. And I believe that those angels that were cast down are what, now, what we now refer to as demons. Um, and there's probably some disagreement on that, but I, I think that's what's most consistent with Scripture is that what we call demons now are really fallen angels. The good news is that two-thirds of the angels are still on God's side. And like I said, we, we don't know for sure how many that is. Uh, it's a lot. Um, they, but these two-thirds of the angels made the right choice to, to stick with God, to stay on the winning team. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk more about angels, and, and that's a lot more fun to talk about, to be honest. But, but since the time that Lucifer was cast out of heaven, we need to know that he and the rest of the demons have been filled with rage. Okay, have you ever just seen pure rage? Seems like it, it happens a, a lot more often now, that people are just out of control, mad. Um, maybe some of you have had pure rage, okay, and you've kind of felt yourself being out of, out of control. It's not a pretty thing. Uh, a lady once came up um, to the great evangelist Billy Sunday and tried to rationalize her angry outbursts. There's nothing wrong with losing my temper, she said. I blow up and then it's all over. And Sunday replied, so does a shotgun and look at the damage it leaves behind. Ouch, right? I was talking to a friend last week who, who realized that he had a problem with anger when he was coaching his daughter's softball team and, and he heard his daughter pointing out who her dad was to her friend and her friend said, oh, the angry guy is your dad? And, and you know, it really hit him. Okay, that he knew he had to make some changes. Satan and his demons are filled with rage. Okay, they hate God, and they want to take the rest of God's creation down with them, and they know that they only have so much time to do that before it's too late. They understand that Jesus is coming back again one day, and, and then it will be over. So let me transition a little bit here for a minute, just to give you an idea of just how much Scripture talks about Satan. And he's referred to by many different names throughout the Bible. A lot of them kind of describe who he is and what he's all about. Here are a few. I'm just going to rapidly go through these. The God of this world from 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, accuser from Revelations 12. The great dragon also from Revelation 12. Our adversary from 1 Peter 5. Lawless one, 2 Thessalonians 2. A liar from John 8. Morning star from Isaiah 14, murderer from John 8, deceiver from Revelation 12, prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, ruler of this world, John 12, enemy, Matthew 13, evil one, Matthew 13, serpent, Revelation 12, father of lies, John 8, tempter, 1 Thessalonians 3. And there are others as well, but we need to know, I think, what, what these terms are referring to. You come across them in the Bible. 
Um, but I also bring these up to show how serious this is. Okay, these are not descriptions to take lightly. Deceiver, liar, tempter, father of lies, ruler of the world. Okay, these are warning titles. These are stand up and take notice titles. These are reminders that we are in for the battle of our lives. And we are susceptible to being deceived and taken down by Satan. So we need to be ready. But to be honest, a lot of people, I think, don't really want to believe in, in a, a literal Satan anymore. In fact, in his book, What Americans Believe, George Barna said that nearly 47% of those who call themselves evangelical Christians say that the devil is not real. 69% of Catholics say the devil's not real. And 65% of mainline Protestants. Okay, so pretty high statistics. But I think if you're going to believe that the Bible is the true word of God, we just can't discount a literal Satan. There was a story of two boys who were walking home from church after hearing a, a strong sermon on the devil. And one said to the other, what do you think about all this Satan stuff? The other boy replied, well, you know how Santa Claus turned out. It's probably just your dad. Guys, Satan is not your dad, uh, even though you might have wondered a few times when you were growing up, when you are in trouble. But according to the statistics, some of you would probably say that Satan doesn't really exist. And, and I just think, though, that we just need to think about this and think about through the Bible, you know, that if you're, you're reading through that, you look at all these things that describe him, um, uh, that it's hard to come to the conclusion that a literal Satan doesn't exist. But if he does exist, how does he work? How does he pull people down? What are his, his tactics? And before I get into that, I want you to keep in mind again that Satan and his demons are not equal with God in any way. They're not omniscient like God, which means all-knowing. They're not omnipotent like God, which means all-powerful. They're not omnipresent like God, which means, you know, present everywhere. They are limited in what they can do, but they were created with you know, more power than, than humans, so they are dangerous. We, we can't understand completely how angels and, and demons work, but we can get a pretty good idea from Scripture. Now, I also think there's a difference between full demonic oppression and what I call demonic influence. Okay, I think demonic oppression is when at least one demon enters a body and the person has no control over what that demon does. We see this a lot during the public ministry of Jesus, and, and most of the time when Jesus or the apostles were driving out demons, that, that was full demonic oppression. A demon had overtaken that person. It can still happen today. Uh, I don't think it's as common, especially in our part of the world, uh, but I think it can happen. Demonic influence, however, is when Satan and his fellow demons try to look for ways to influence you to be drawn away from God. Okay, they're looking for kind of chinks in your armor to, to use against you. And, and I think for most of us, this is what we need to watch out for. This is where Satan can get us. And I think by far the number one tactic to use when trying to influence, when he's trying to influence us, and, and I think really all of his tactics stem from this one, it's this. Satan's number one tactic is lies and deception. Okay, Satan and his fellow demons will do anything that they can do to you to lie to you and deceive you. Anything. John 8, 44, the second part of it says, For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay, that is what Satan does. He lies. 
Have you ever known a, a chronic liar, just someone who, who tells lies all the time, and, and you never know if they're telling the truth because they lie so much, and after a while, it's just like the boy that cried wolf. You, you don't believe them, even if they happen to be telling the truth. I knew a guy in high school who, who just lied all the time, and we started referring to him as Uncle Gary because he, he, he told stories all the time like that crazy uncle a lot of people seem to have. Well, Satan is a chronic liar to the max. You, you can know for sure that, that he's t not telling you the truth. Um, you can know for sure that he's trying to deceive you. And this started clear back at the creation of man. Um, you know the story. Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden. Satan came to them in the form of a serpent. And you remember God said they, they could eat any fruit in the garden except for the fruit from that one tree. And he said, hey, if you, if you eat that fruit from that tree, you're going to die. And the serpent comes along to Eve and says, you know, you're really not going to die if you eat that fruit. Hey, God just doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. He doesn't want you to, to know the things that, that he knows. And, and Eve listened, and she took it and ate it. And Adam also uh, took it and ate it. And it changed everything. They were deceived by the serpent. Do you see how good he is at, at twisting and deceiving? You know, sometimes things are just too good to be true. I remember one time when my, my kids were little and we were at my parents' house and my mom had this fake bowl of apples on the table and looked very real. Uh, but they were made out of wood. And uh, Olivia took one of those apples and, and tried to bite into it. And, and she had this huge surprised look on her face when it wasn't a real apple. Like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, she didn't understand. And, and so ever since there, then, there has been two little teeth marks in, in one of those apples at my mom's house. Spiritually speaking, Satan has a way of making false things look real. Deception has always been Satan's method. And a lot of times that apple tastes pretty good to start with, but then it's not so good after a while. Okay, It doesn't sit very well in your stomach. That's how sin often is. It feels pretty good at first, but then it gets pretty ugly as you get stuck in it, and it's, it's just hard to get out of it, and that's what Satan wants. Satan even tried to tempt and deceive Jesus when he, he was fasting for 40 days before he started his public ministry. And three different times, Satan kind of just came at Jesus with these, these temptations. And thankfully, three times he failed, and, and Jesus had an answer from Scripture for every single time, which I think we can learn a lot from. But Satan is demons. They will try to lie to us and deceive every one of us. And he seems to know what's going to get us. You know, maybe you've been deceived by some of these kind of thoughts. You know, there's, there's no hope for you. Really, no one cares about you. And do you really think God could for, forgive you after everything you've done? Or, you know, that's, it's not really adultery. It's just kind of a fling, and, and nobody will know. It's not that big of a deal. Or, you know, all you really need is more money. Then you'll be happy. If you just had a better job, you know, then you're going to be happy. Or, you know, it's really not that big of a deal if you, you skip church today. You're, you're tired. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with premarital sex as long as you love each other. You know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't have let this happen to you. God must not love you that much. 
Or, you, you know, you're really, you're too tired to read the Bible today. You, you can do it tomorrow. Or I guess God doesn't really care about you because he didn't answer your prayer like you wanted him to. Maybe he isn't even real. Or, you know, it's only once. What's the big deal? Or, uh, nobody would ever want you. you know, you're too ugly. You guys just take the first person that comes along. Or you're not smart enough. You'll never amount to anything. Nobody really cares about you. Have you heard some of those lies? Guys, they aren't true. Okay, Satan knows where to get in and dig at you. Wherever it is for you, he's going to look for that chink in your armor. But I'm telling you, he is the father of lies. He is lying to you. Be aware of it and don't listen to it. When you're faced with those kind of thoughts, you just need to recognize that it isn't from God and you need to pray in the name of Jesus that God will give you the strength to stand up and resist and reject those lies. You know, the Apostle Paul had this huge desire for people to come to understand God's love like he had come to understand God's love. And it, it was a process for him too, but he, he was writing to the church in Ephesus when, when he said this, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete and with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Hey, the bold truth is that God loves you guys so much. It's deep and long and, and wide and high, but it's pure and true. God loves you. Satan hates you. Okay, plain and simple, that's the truth. And I get how hard it is not to listen to Satan. He's so subtle and, and crafty, and, and unless we're paying attention, we sometimes don't even realize how, what's going on you know, what he's doing. And, and maybe a particular sin has just become such a, a regular part of our lives that we don't even realize we're sinning anymore. But I do think we regularly need to search ourselves and do our best to make sure that we aren't being deceived. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I'm going to grab a drink quick here. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, we need to get God involved in the process. This was David writing, and, and David was far from, from perfect. Okay, he, he committed some pretty major sins, but, but he was referred to as a man after God's own heart, and it makes you wonder, well, why was he, he considered a man after God's own heart? And I think there are a lot of reasons, but one of them is that he was willing to humble himself before God and to, to really seek his face. 
And in this passage, he was, he was asking God to, to search him and, and to let him know if there's something he needed to do to, to get right with him. You know, sometimes I think we need to do that as well. We need to just stop and, and ask God to, to search us. Let us know, is there something that, that we need to do, something we need to get right with him? Has Satan deceived us to the point where we don't even realize it? Are there some blind spots that we can't see? And when we do that, I think the Holy Spirit is usually, if we're honestly searching, I think the Holy Spirit is usually pretty specific about what we need to do. I don't think it's usually just going to be a general thing like, oh, you need to be a better dad or mom or whatever. I think it's going to be something specific like you need to, to ask so-and-so for forgiveness. Um, or you need to talk to this person. Or you need to quit flirting with this person who's not your spouse. Or if a sin's brought to your attention, you need to just give that over to God and ask for forgiveness. And, and, and He's promised that He will forgive you. But then you need to move on from that sin with God's power. Okay, Do not let the lies and deception of Satan drag you down. And when you realize that you've been deceived, it's time just to call Satan out. Send him scurrying. Okay, Remember James 4, 7, we, I, I mentioned last week. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay, get that verse in your brain and, and, and just pull it out whenever you need it. It might be several times a day. That is a promise from God's word. Here's another cool promise. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Isn't that awesome? Okay, if you're a Christian, you have God living in you and God trumps Satan every time if we let him. That's a promise from Scripture. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. One more promise that I want to mention that we can hold on to. Uh, Revelation, as you know, it, it has a lot of symbolism in it. And sometimes it's kind of hard to sort through it all. We read a couple of verses in Revelation 12 earlier. But I want to continue on with that passage in, in Revelation 12, verse 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say... Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Okay, accuser. Did you catch that? that that's one of those words for Satan that we talked about. But the triumph that took place was because the blood of the Lamb. Okay, what's that mean? It means the victory was won because Jesus won it for us on the cross. Okay, we couldn't do it on our own, but Jesus could do it because He was the perfect Lamb without blemish. And through His death and resurrection, He was victorious. And because Jesus was victorious, as followers of Jesus, we win the battle too. Okay, we are not going to be perfect like Jesus was. We're accounted as, as perfect through his, his blood that was shed, but we are going to make, make mistakes, but in the end, we win too. Okay, it's a promise from God's word. Satan loses, and he loses for all eternity, and we win. Guys, we win. We win because God is on our side. Let's pray. Lord, how reassuring that is to know that in the end that we win. Because of you, not because of, of anything we've done or we deserve. 
but through Jesus we win. Lord, I pray that you'll help us in this battle uh, against Satan and what he's trying to do to us. Help us to, to not listen to his lies and his deception, but to listen to your word about your love for us and help us to stand on that truth. For those who are struggling right now, I just lift them up to you, Lord. Give them strength to maybe get back up and get going again because they know you love them so much. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. If you need to claim that victory over Satan, do it today. Okay, don't wait. God's waiting with open arms. So thanks again for joining us. Have a victorious week in Jesus.